Volume One, Chapter Seventeen of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume One, Chapter Seventeen. Algernon was elated by the success of his song, and by Lady Seely's full acknowledgment of his cousinship, and he left the mansion in Mayfair in very good spirits, as has been said. But when he got back to his inn, a private hotel in a dingy street behind Oxford Street, he began to feel a recurrence of the disappointment which had oppressed him, when Lady Seely had declared so emphatically that my lord could do nothing for him in the way of getting him a place. What was to be done? It was all very well for his mother to say that, with his talents and appearance, he must and would make his way to a high position. But just and reasonable as it would be that his talents and appearance should give him success, he began to fear that they might not altogether avail to do so. He thought of Mr. Philthorpe, that substance which Mr. Diamond had said they were deserting for the shadow of Seely, and of the thousands of pounds which the Bristol merchant possessed. Truly a stool in a counting-house was not the post which Algernon coveted, and he candidly told himself that he should not be able to fill it effectively, but still there would have been at least as good a chance of fascinating Mr. Philthorpe as of fascinating Lord Seely, and the looked-for result of the fascination in either case was to be absolution from the necessity of doing any disagreeable work whatever, and moreover Mr. Philthorpe at all events would have supplied board and lodging and a small salary whilst he was undergoing the progress of being fascinated. Algernon looked thoughtful and anxious for a full quarter of an hour as he pondered these things, but then he fell into a fit of laughter at the recollection of Lady Seely and Fido. "'There is something very absurd about that old woman,' said he to himself. "'She is so impudent, and why wear a wig at all, if a wig is to be such a one as hers? A turban or a skull-cap would do just as well to cover her head with. But then they wouldn't be half so funny. Fido is something like his mistress, nearly as fat, with the same style of profile.' Then he set himself to draw a caricature representing Fido, attired after the fashion of Lady Seely, and became quite cheerful and buoyant over it. In the interval between the day of his visit to the Seelys and the Thursday on which he was to dine with them, Algernon made one or two calls, and delivered a couple of letters of introduction, with which his Whitford friends had furnished him. One was from Dr. Bodkin, to an old-fashioned solicitor, who was reputed to be rich, but who lived in a very quiet way, in a very quiet square, and gave very quiet little dinners to a select few who could appreciate a really fine glass of port. The other letter was to a sister of young Mr. Pawkins, of Pudcombe Hall, married to the chief clerk of the Admiralty, who lived in a fashionable neighbourhood, and gave parties as fashionable as her visiting list permitted, and by no means desired any special connoisseurship in wine on the part of her guests. On the occasion of his first calls, Algernon found neither Mr. Ledbetter, the solicitor, nor Mrs. Matchin Stubbs, that was the name of young Pawkins' sister, at home. So he left his letters and cards, and wandered about the streets in a rather forlorn way. For although it was his first visit to London, it was not possible for him to get much enjoyment out of the metropolis all alone. To him every place, even London, appeared in the light of a stage or background, whereon that supremely interesting personage, himself, might figure to more or less advantage. Now London is a big theatre, and although a big theatre full of spectators may be very exhilarating to the object of public attention who performs in it, a big theatre practically barren of spectators, for of course the only real spectators are the spectators who look at us, is apt to oppress the mind with a sense of desertion. So he was very glad when Thursday evening came, and he found himself once more within the hall-door of Lord Seely's house. My lord was in the drawing-room alone, standing on the hearth-rug, he shook hands very kindly with Algernon, and bade him come near to the fire and warm himself, for the evening was cold. 
"'And what have you been doing with yourself, Mr. Errington?' asked Lord Seely. "'I have been chiefly employed to-day in losing myself and asking my way,' answered Algernon, laughing. And then he began an account of his adventures, and absolutely surprised himself by the amount of fun and sparkle he contrived to elicit from the narration of circumstances, which had been, in fact, dull and commonplace enough. My lord was greatly amused, and once even laughed out loud at Algernon's imitation of an Irish apple-woman, who had misdirected him with the best intentions, and much calling down of blessings on his handsome face, in return for a silver sixpence. "'Capital!' said my lord, nodding his head up and down. "'The sixpence was badly invested, though,' observed Algernon, "'for she sent me about three miles out of my way.' "'Ah, but the blarney! You forgot the blessing and the blarney. Surely they were worth the money, eh?' "'No, my lord, not to me. I can't afford expensive luxuries.' Lady Seely, when she entered the room, gorgeous in pea-green satin, which singularly set off the somewhat pronounced tone of her rouge, found Algy and my lord laughing together very merrily, and, as she gave her hand to her young relative, demanded to be informed what the joke was. Now it has been said that Algernon was possessed of wonderfully rapid powers of perception, and by sundry signs, so slight that they would have entirely escaped most observers, this clever young gentleman perceived that my lady was not altogether delighted at finding her husband and himself on such easy and pleasant terms together. In fact, my lady, with all her blunt careless jollity of manner and pleasant mellow voice, was apt to be both jealous and suspicious. She was jealous of her ascendancy over Lord Seely, who was said by the ill-natured to be completely under his wife's thumb, and she was suspicious of most strangers, especially of strangers who might be expected to want anything of his lordship and she usually assumed that such persons would endeavour to come over that nobleman when he was apart from his wife's protecting influence she had a general theory that men might be humbugged into anything and a particular experience that lord seely despite his stiff carriage and abrupt manner was in truth far softer natured than she was herself that young scamp has been coming over valentine with his jokes and his flummery said my lady to herself he's an ancrum every inch of him at that very moment Algernon was mentally declaring that the conquest of my lady would, after all, be a more difficult matter than that of my lord, but that by some means or other the conquest must be made, if any good was to come to him from the Seely connection, and a stream of easy chat flowed over these underlying intentions and hid them, except that here and there perhaps a bubble or an eddy told of rough places out of sight. After some ten minutes of desultory talk, my lady was obliged to own to herself that the young scamp had wonderfully good manner. Without a trace of servility, he was respectful, conveying with perfect tact exactly the sort of homage that was graceful and becoming from a youth like himself to persons of the Seely's age and position. Neither did he commit the error of becoming familiar in response to Lady Seely's tone of familiarity, a pitfall which had before now entrapped the unwary. For my lady, whom nature had created vulgar, having possibly, in the hurry of business, mistaken one kind of clay for another, and put some low person's mind into the fine porcelain of an undoubted ancrum, was fond of asserting her position in the world by a rough unceremoniousness in the first place, and a very wide-eyed arrogance in the second place, if such unceremoniousness chanced to be reciprocated by unauthorized persons. "'Do we wait for any one, Belinda?' asked Lord Seely. "'The Dormers are coming. They are such great musicians, you know, and I want Lady Harriet to hear this boy sing. And then there may be Jack Price, very likely.' very likely said my lord raising his eyebrows and stiffening his back doesn't mr price do us the honour of saying positively whether he will come or not oh you know what jack price is he says he'll come and nine times out of ten he don't come and then the tenth time he comes and people have to put up with him my lord cleared his throat significantly 
as who should say that he at all events did not feel inclined to put up with this system of tithes in the fulfilment of mr jack price's promises if he comes said lady seely addressing algernon you'll have to walk into dinner by yourself i've only got one young lady and if jack comes he must have her where is castalia asked my lord oh i suppose she's dressing castalia is always the slowest creature at her toilet i ever knew algernon had read up the family genealogy in the peerage under his mother's instructions sufficiently to be aware that lady and lord seely were childless having lost their only son in a boating accident years ago castalia then could not be a daughter of the house who was she a young lady who was evidently at present living with the seelys whom they called by her christian name and who was habitually a long time at her toilet algernon felt a little agreeable excitement and curiosity on the subject of the tardy castalia the door was thrown open here she comes thought algernon settling his cravat as he threw a quick side glance at a mirror general and lady harriet dormer announced the servant there entered a tall elegant woman leaning on the arm of a short stout benevolent-looking man in spectacles to these personages algernon was duly presented being introduced much to his gratification by lady seely as a young cousin of mine mr Ancrum eddington who has just come to town then having made his bow to general dormer who smiled and shook hands with him algernon stood opposite to the graceful lady harriet and was talked to very kindly and pleasantly and felt extremely content with himself and his surroundings nevertheless he watched with some impatience for the appearance of castalia and forgot his usual self-possession so far as to turn his head and break off in the middle of a sentence he was uttering to lady harriet when he heard the door open again but once more he was disappointed for this time dinner was announced and lord seely offered his arm to lady harriet and led the way out of the room no jack said lady seely as she passed out before algernon and no castalia said my lord over his shoulder in a tone of vexation algernon followed his seniors alone but just as he got on to the staircase there appeared a lady leisurely descending from an upper floor at whom lord seely looked up reproachfully late late castalia said he and shook his head solemnly no no uncle valentine just in time replied the lady castalia take ancrum's arm and do let us get to dinner before the soup is cold said lady seely give your arm to miss kilfinane and come along and her ladyship's pea-green satin swept downstairs after lady harriet's sober purple draperies algernon bowed and offered his arm to the lady beside him she placed her hand on it almost without looking at him and they entered the dining-room without having exchanged a word the dining-room was better lighted than the staircase and algernon took an early opportunity of looking at his companion she was not very young being in fact nearly thirty but looking older neither was she handsome she was very thin sallow and sickly-looking with a small round face not wrinkled but crumpled as it were into queer fretful lines her eyes were bright and well-shaped but deeply sunken and she had a great deal of thick pale brown hair worn in huge bows and festoons upon the top of her head according to the extreme of the mode of that day her dress displayed more than it was judicious to display in an aesthetic point of view of very lean shoulders and was of a bright soft pink hue that would have been trying to the most blooming complexion altogether the honourable castalia kilfinane's appearance was disappointing and her manner was not so attractive as to make up for lack of beauty her face expressed a mixture of querulousness and hauteur and she spoke in a languid drawl with strange peevish inflections you and i ought to be some sort of relations to each other oughtn't we said algernon having taken in all the above particulars in a series of rapid observations why returned the lady without raising her eyes from her soup-plate because you are lady seely's niece and i am her cousin who says that i am lady seely's niece i thought stammered algernon i fancied you called lord seely uncle valentine 
even his equanimity and a certain glow of complacency he felt at finding himself where he was were a little disturbed by miss castalia's freezing manner i am lord seely's niece returned she then after a little pause having finished her soup she leaned back in her chair and stared at algernon who pretended not quite successfully to be unconscious of her scrutiny apparently the result of it was favourable to algernon for the lady's manner thawed perceptibly and she began to talk to him she had evidently heard of him from lady seely and understood the exact degree of his relationship to that great lady did you ever meet the dormers before asked miss kilfinane never how should i you know i am the merest country mouse i never was in london in my life until last friday oh but the dormers don't live in town indeed they are here very seldom you may have met them their places in the west of england algernon after a rapid balancing of pros and cons resolved to be absolutely candid with his brightest smile and most arched eyebrows he began to give miss kilfinane an almost unvarnished description of his life at whitford almost unvarnished but it is no more easy to tell the simple truth only occasionally than it is to stand quite upright only occasionally mind and muscles will fall back to their habitual posture so that it may be doubted whether miss kilfinane received an accurate notion of the precise degree of poverty and obscurity in which the young man who was speaking to her had hitherto lived and so said she you have come to london to to seek my fortune said algernon merrily it is the proper and correct beginning to a story and i think i have had a piece of good luck at the very outset by way of a good omen miss kilfinane opened her eyes interrogatively but said nothing i think it was a piece of luck for me continued algernon emboldened by having secured the scornful lady's attention and perhaps a little also by the wine he had drunk a great piece of good luck that mr jack price whoever he may be did not turn up this evening why because if he had i should not have been allowed the honour of bringing you in to dinner oh yes i should have had to go in with jack i suppose answered the lady with a little smile please miss kilfinane who is jack price i do so want to know jack price is lord mullingar's son but what is he and why do people want to have him so much that they put up with his disappointing them nine times out of ten as to what he is well he was in the guards and he gave that up then they got him a place somewhere in africa or south america or somewhere and he gave that up then he got the notion that he would be a farmer in canada and went out with an axe to cut down the trees and a plough to plough the ground afterwards and he gave that up now he does nothing particular and has he found his vocation at last i don't know i'm sure said miss kilfinane languidly her power of perceiving a joke was very limited thanks now i know all about mr price except except why everybody wants to invite him that i really cannot tell you then you don't share the general enthusiasm about him i don't know that there is any general enthusiasm only of course don't you know how it is people have got in the way of putting up with him and letting him do as he likes he's a very fortunate young man i should say young man miss kilfinane laughed a hard little laugh why jack price is ever so old ever so old is he echoed algernon genuinely surprised he must be turned forty said the fair castalia rising in obedience to a look from lady seely and if she had been but fifteen herself she could not have said it with a more infantine air after the ladies had withdrawn algernon had to sit for about twenty minutes in the shade as it were silent and listening with modesty and discretion to the conversation of his seniors had they talked politics algernon would have been able to throw in a word or two but lord seely and his guests talked not of principles or party but of persons the persons talked of were such as lord seely conceived to be useful or hostile to his party and he discussed their conduct and criticised the tactics of ministers in regard to them with much warmth 
but unfortunately algernon neither knew nor could pretend to know anything about these individuals so he sipped his wine and looked at the family portraits which hung round the room in silence my lord made a kind of apology to him as they were going upstairs to the drawing-room i am afraid you are bored mr errington i am sorry for your sake that mr price did not honour us with his company you would have found him much more amusing than us old fogies algernon knew when lord seeley talked of mr price not having honoured them with his company that my lord was indignant against that gentleman i have no doubt mr price is a very agreeable person said he but i did not regret him my lord i thought it a great privilege to be allowed to listen to you later in the evening algy overheard lord seeley say to general dormer he's a remarkably intelligent young fellow i assure you he has a capital manner returned the general there is something very taking about him indeed ah yes manner yes a very good manner but there's more judgment more solidity about him than appears on the surface meanwhile algernon went on flourishingly and ingratiated himself with every one he steered his way with admirable tact past various perils such as must inevitably threaten one who aims at universal popularity lady harriet was delighted with his singing and lady harriet's expressed approbation pleased lady seeley for the dormers were considered to be great musical connoisseurs and their judgment had considerable weight among their own set their own set further supposed that the verdict of the dormers was important to professional artists a delusion which the givers of second-rate concerts who depended on lady harriet to get rid of many seven-and-sixpenny tickets during the season were at no pains to disturb then algernon took the precaution to keep away from lord seeley and to devote himself to my lady during the remainder of the evening this behaviour had so good an effect that she called him ancrum and bade him to go and talk to castalia who was sitting alone in a distant ottoman with a distinctly sour expression of countenance how did you get on with castalia at dinner asked my lady miss kilfinane was very kind to me ma'am was she well she don't make herself agreeable to everybody so consider yourself honoured castalia's a very clever girl she can draw make wax flowers and play the piano beautifully can she really will she play to-night i am sure i don't know go and ask her may i yes be off miss kilfinane did not move or raise her eyes when algernon went and stood before her i have come with a petition said he after a little pause have you yes will you play to-night no oh that's very cruel i wish you would i don't like playing before the dormers they set up for being such connoisseurs and i hate that kind of thing i am sure you can have no reason to fear their criticism i don't want to have my performance picked to pieces in that knowing sort of way i play for my own amusement and i don't want to be criticised and applauded and patronised but how can people help applauding when you play lady seeley says you play exquisitely did she tell you to ask me to play not exactly but she said i might ask you at this moment general dormer came up and said with his most benevolent smile won't you give us a little music miss kilfinane some beethoven now i see a volume of his sonatas on the piano i hate beethoven returned miss kilfinane hate beethoven no no you don't it's quite impossible a pianist like you oh no miss kilfinane it is out of the question yes i do i hate all classical music and the sort of stuff that people talk about it the general smiled shook his head shrugged his shoulders and walked away miss kilfinane you are ferociously cruel said algernon under his breath as general dormer turned his back on them the little fear he had had of castalia's chilly manner and ungracious tongue had quite vanished algernon was not apt to be in awe of any one and he certainly was not in awe of castalia kilfinane why did you tell the general that you hated beethoven he went on saucily i am quite sure you don't hate beethoven 
i hate all the kind of professional jargon which the dormers affect about music music is all very well but it isn't our business any more than tailoring or millinery is our business to hear the dormers talk you would think it the most important matter in the world to decide whether this fiddler is better than that fiddler or what is the right time to play a fugue of box in i am such an ignoramus that i am afraid i don't even know with any precision what a fugue of box is said algernon ingenuously he thought he had learned to understand miss castalia nevertheless when later in the evening lady harriet asked him in her pretty silver tones and do you too hate classical music mr errington he professed the most unbounded love and reverence for the great masters i have had few opportunities of hearing fine music lady harriet said he but it is the thing i have longed for all my life whereupon lady harriet much pleased at the prospect of such a disciple invited him to go to her house every saturday morning when he would hear some of the best performers in london execute some of the best music i only ask real listeners said lady harriet we are just a few music lovers who take the thing very much au sérieux on the whole when algernon thought over his evening sitting over the fire in his bedroom at the inn he acknowledged to himself that he had been successful lady seely is the toughest customer though what a fishwife she looks beside that elegant lady harriet but she can put on airs of a great lady too when she likes it's a very fine line that divides dignity from impudence take her wig off wash her face and clothe her in a short cotton gown with a white apron and how many people would know that belinda lady seely had ever been anything but a cook or the landlady of a public-house well i think i am cleverer than any of em and after all that's a great point with which comfortable reflection algernon ancrum errington went to bed and to sleep end of chapter seventeen